This is Jason Bailey from ArtGnome.com. Oh, yeah. Hello, everyone. This is Jessica Angel from Art Project Decentralized. This is Mike in space of Bitcoin Card Talk, and you're listening to All right, we have um, episode 20 here, the big two zero. And a special guest. Special guest, Rob Myers. We are one episode away from our uh, 21st birthday. There you go. Yeah. Be, or should we bring some liquor? <laughs> the 21st show. Liquor in the front, <laughs> poker in the rear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, so this is episode 20. This is a family show. Oh. And our our buddy Jason just held up the the uh, drum roll. Uh, stupid jokes. Thank you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got Rob Myers, the the influential and uh, innovative Rob Myers. Rob Myers. You can check him out at robmyers.org. Um, we're gonna get in. We have a nice conversation with him going uh, here in a second. So we're just gonna get right into it with uh, Cynthia Gaten's top five news. This is a pretty exciting week, and and I'm trying to mix it up a little bit because we've been dominated with uh, the fine art world. And uh, but I have to start out at least with one thing. We have the Art Plus Tech Summit, number one, exploring blockchain. It's on July 17th, so next week. It's only one day. Sponsored by Christie's and curated with Christie's Education and Vistari. I have a link to that. If you go, there will be a lot of folks we also know there. And we, I talked about this last time. Number two, inside the blockchain art auction, it, it covered the Ethereal S- Summit 2018. It's a video on dap.tech, originally published on May 27th, uploaded by Vice News, featuring featuring friend of AOTB Ying Lu and a brief cameo by our own Skrilla. If you haven't seen it, there's a link here. Yeah. Number three, um, Oxford Blockchain Strategy Program. This I just put in here because I hadn't seen this before um, but you know this also shows how serious things are with relation to blockchain and education so uh, featuring Oxford blockchain strategic framework Oxford blockchain regulation framework Oxford blockchain ecosystem map all these things are part of their six week online program I don't even know how all this works together, but it is um, a nice presentation. I didn't even bother to look how much it was, but I understand it's at least 2,200 pounds to um, participate in this. There's nothing about art in the curriculum, but one thing about this program is that they are introducing you to concepts. It is, a, it is a, at least in my mind, a very basic program, and they promise to hook you up with influence influential people in the industry so you might want to check it out um june 12 i'm oh, sorry june 21st 2018 there was an article published by natalie romabit uh blau this is in quotes so the article blau is helping launch the first in air quotes blockchain powered music festival scheduled for that's dj blau dj blau uh for october 20th 2018 and it is, in quotes, a blockchain-powered music festival called Our Music Festival, OMF, OMF, sorry, to be held in San Francisco, headlined by Zed, understand, very influential EDM. Zed, Zed is dead. <laughs> uh, it's put together by DJ and producer Justin Blau, a.k.a., um, well, I I think it's a three, but, yeah, all right, but Blau. He, so... His name is like all those other new school EDM guys where he takes numbers and things. And he turned moves the B. Them around. Well, the B is a 13. Yeah, there we so go. So it's just, it's blah. All right. Unless I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how, how it is. <laughs> Working with Adam Lynn, a prime social group, 
in partnership with Blockchain Entertainment Studios Singular DTV. And they have a token that's going to be launched that day, the OMF token on Ethereum. Launched that day or prior? Because the way says, I understood it. It says it will la- launch at the festival in this article. So that means, all right, yeah. See, we got to talk to Justin about that. We're supposed to um, have him on the show here sometime this summer. Um, because the way I understood it is that you bought the token as an early, like to reward early tickets. And people who buy the tickets early, that creates liquidity to help pay out you know uh people are you know money Tending. to throw no throw the, to throw the festival you need money so buying the token early uh should be cheaper and more advantageous to the early adopter because mm-hmm. they're providing liquidity and then as it goes on like, that's how i was understanding it unless they're just doing the super airdrop at this place and then from that point on maybe certain shows will have the blockchain token to get in but I don't see how they could possibly release it that day unless you're buying... When you go in and exchange your ticket, they expect everybody to have Ethereum mobile wallet to give it. It just wouldn't work that way. Could it be activated that day? Where you can actually use it that day? Yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll about, see. Um, so it says we'll launch at the festival. Folks, from, uh, folks with OMF tokens can buy tickets and help problems related to scalping scalping and ticket price inflation that's the intent of this particular um, token on june 24th there's an article by mayank pundir called what is seek cryptocurrency c-e-e-k according to this article seek is an all-new entertainment ecosystem that is powered by ethereum-based smart contracts another ethereum product and governed via the use of native blockchain protocol it is actually a VR experience for fans who want to experience the live performance wherever they are. So that's what this this is for. There's a link to that um, that we'll have on the bottom of the page. And then our own news. Skrilla put out an article called Some Notes on how to start earning crypto with music. It's put out on Medium. Yep. When was that? Like last week? Yeah, last week about how um, I experienced Tune, the guy we interviewed um, a couple episodes again ago on episode 18 Matt Hall and uh, I tried out their product and I uh, wrote a little article about it there's a telegram group for uh, music and blockchain if you want to join up you can uh, contact our twitter or read the article there's a link there yeah it says it's a, it's a, you're right in the link <clears throat> and then you also did don't fill illustration on Dada New York City. I understand that I've been this doing was a lot not of, the only yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of Dada joints lately. As uh, I'm gonna say, like we had Ju- Ju- uh, Judy and Bay on last episode. I've been signed up to use Dada since like February or January, but I never used it until this week. Um, I had some downtime, and now it's becoming an, a bit of an addiction. Like you. Are having conversations with art, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, so. A lot of activity, and then they had a what is it, a hundred thousand yeah, illustration. Hundred thousand illustration got tokenized as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the platform is, is still kind of uh, janky a bit, but I kind of like it like that. Like we had talked about it with them on the last episode, that they didn't want to make it all perfect and. You know, you only have like I think ten undos, and there's no layers. It's like literally drawing with your finger, yeah, painting with your finger. So it's kind of like it's a good way to kill some time. And like you can, I, I know for me, I, I don't do a lot of painting, so I feel like I'm actually learning painting techniques a bit by like fooling around with it. So yeah, there's a lot really really interesting, and then the idea of having a conversation with artists is cool too. Yeah. Um, myself, I came out with this article called Attribution Coin Dash Social Media Cryptocurrency Using Blockchain. Basically, just a bunch of buzzwords mm. to hopefully <laughs> tell, entice people to give attribution if they use other people's works. Just give a shout out to the to the folks who are creating um, and refer to them when you have a chance. And as often as possible. And I wish there was money I could associate with my attribution coin, but it's just for... You're not ICO in that joint? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then I I'd forgot I just got accepted to do a presentation at the Gray Area Festival. Bam. Um, but it's going to be on copyright, so we'll see how how that goes. We act, we got a discount for our listeners. At Check 25%. it out. Write this down here. It's going to be at the bottom <laughs> of the notes section as well. You want twenty five percent off Gray Area Festival tickets. That's tickets. right. So there'll be a link, and we've got our own little discount code. So that's very very long, but you know. You all can you all can do that. If it was gonna be a Rob Myers hash, which you'll learn about in a second, it would be red, black, yellow, green, <laughs> black, red, yellow, green, repeat sixteen times. <laughs> there you go. So, you get it that way or you could just copy the note section at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> and then Skrill and I did an interview just yesterday on the Tatiana show. Oh yeah. Uh Tatiana Moroz. The legendary Tatiana Moroz. Bobby Casey, and there's a link. Bobby Casey, he was the other guest, right? Yeah. Before us. Yeah, he, had, yeah. he was, had some interesting things to say, too. So he seemed to, uh, he was a, a lot more positive by the time I got on the... Yo, the, that dude, like, <laughs> listening to, <laughs> check it out. So we were waiting on the, uh, we were waiting standby, because we were the second half of the show. It was an hour show, we were the last 30 minutes, and I was listening to the guy talk. And yeah, he, he has some informative stuff to say, he's an investment guy. But the best thing he said to me, super alpha response, <laughs> was when he said that none of his friends have jobs. He doesn't know that life, but all of his friends are entrepreneurs and he doesn't talk to people without jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh my God. Well, don't you have a job when you're an entrepreneur? I thought you did. I don't know. It was just so, it was oh, such an man. asinine thing to say. I love Wow. Me. Shout out to you. You if you ever if you ever want a DJ Pepe, there's one waiting for you. He doesn't work either. <laughs> yeah. No, DJ Pepe works hard. Huh? You gotta inform the humans about the meme pool activity. It's a hard worker, man. He's an entrepreneur. Yeah, of sorts. He's broke, but <laughs> he's doing what he can. Yeah. Trying to help these female frogs save their lives. <laughs> Anyway, right. so, on that note, we're going to talk to Bad Shibe himself, Rob Myers. We are back. We have, as promised, a very special guest, Rob Myers. Oh. A little applause there in the background. Um, you can check out robmyers.org. Rob has been... Not only a blockchain uh, art and code and all types of hacker. different stuff, hacker in the space, but he predates that. And uh, it basically looks like he, d- he takes a code and makes it, artifies it. I, <laughs> I don't know. He can probably explain it better, but uh, yeah, Rob, he's got a serious blog here. Sorry, say it again, Rob. That's that's us. I'm just making up words. <laughs> Gotta tokenize it. Yeah, tokenize yeah. it. Tokenize everything. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, Rob, you're you're calling us from uh, Vancouver, Canada. I am. Yeah. Indeed. And uh, judging by your accent, um, you're you, not native. You're not a native Canadian. <laughs> Yeah, more, more British than British Columbia, and I, I moved here about five years ago. I, I've lived in the UK all of my life, so then I probably married a Canadian, which is awesome. Oh, wow, nice. <laughs> um, at the time when I started really, really, really getting into blockchain art, I was waiting for my permanent residence status, and I couldn't really travel then. Oh. So it was about, there was about 18 months where I was like, you know, the bank here for so Canada was trying to assert some sort of control? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> claiming, claiming sovereignty over me. I guess so. Just, you know, it's not the same in the, in the Commonwealth world. There's only so many benefits they're going to give you. <laughs> yeah. So, which came first, the art or the computer stuff in your life? Okay, so, when I was a kid... 
Um, my school had a book club, and I don't know if schools still have book clubs, but mm. at the time they did. So they had a run of the books they were offering you were about programming your home computer. You had a little bit, a bit home computers. And so as well as trying to convince you that computers were great for like keeping track of money and simulation or whatever else, they have articles or computer rocks. And so I sort of filed that away and forgot about it until I went to art school. And there they had a couple of Macintosh computers being carefully guarded by the technicians there. So I made friends with the technicians and sort of sat behind my first Macintosh and never looked back. Nice. So when um, people debate the Mac and Windows, your your PC, your your uh, Mac guy. Um, I was. I've, I've moved <laughs> on to free software now, so All I'm right. at the Debian guy now. But yeah, yeah back in the day, I'm very much Team Macintosh. So I can't even. I was like, did I did I know any Macintosh hackers? And I didn't. <laughs> so that's kind of an. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I learned when I was at art school. I, I learned Macintosh programming graphics, wow. uh, graphics programming rather in, in C, which was oh. I thought an almost completely useless to have until I, I got a job porting computer games onto the Macintosh few years later. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Kind of niche scale. So, I mean, do you do you have a, uh, a job? You work for uh, the Creative Commons? I do, yes. Creative Commons is lovely. I work for them. I work for them doing lots of tech stuff. Um, there's a team who do um, new product development I'm there looking after also I have to be careful not to call the legacy systems but they're the <laughs> web servers that have been running our code very, very effectively for years now and so I keep those humming along I'm, I'm here in the personal capacity but yes, great Nice and um, would you say like the blockchain and art stuff has kind of been your passion in the last few years? Yes, 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 yes yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it came together kind of suddenly because I, I was reading back through my blog to try and work out when I first decided this was a thing. And I've got a blog post from 2011 saying, hey, if you send me a Bitcoin, I will draw you a Bitcoin in return. And <laughs> I remember that one person emailed me and said, so how does this actually work? And I kind of panicked. Because I was worried that by the time I'd paid for postage, I was going to end up losing money on the transaction. So this shows how much of a visionary I was. But yeah, but I mean, by the time we got to 2014, as I say, I was in uh, Vancouver, I was in BC, I was sort of waiting to then become a permanent resident, had a lot of spare time. And one of the things I was doing was going to meetups and talks at our awesome local crypto hack community space, which is now called D-Control. And I just soaked up what the sort of early, very passionate, kind of idealistic vibe was around cryptocurrency, first Bitcoin and Dogecoin. I love Dogecoin in, <laughs> in Vancouver and then Ethereum. So um, that seems to be really, really interesting to me, not just because of what it offered to be able to do technically and economically, but just the way it captured people's imagination. And and, 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 and it captures people's imagination both the good in a sort of positive way, people think it's wonderful and liberating and sort of gives them hope for the future. And it captures people's imagination in a negative way, you know, it's like why is this computer going to take every bit of information I send to it? freeze it and display it for everyone to see and hold that over my head forever and so I, I just became interested in something that seemed to be this like um, technological and ideological crossroads. Do you think the blockchain is more polarizing to people than uh, than uh, the Windows and Apple debate? <laughs> it is, yeah it's, it's, it's more like the computers or not debate where it's not of whether your favourite operating system is better than someone else's operating system. It's that all operating systems will inevitably lead to Skynet and the destruction of all life on Earth. Why on Earth do you like operating systems? Yeah. And yeah, block- blockchain like that, it's, um, it's 
like Marmite spread in the UK. You either love it or hate it. <laughs> but you can't ever disown it. <laughs> no, no. It, you, it, people have to have an opinion on it, even if their opinions are too many other people have opinions on it. Yeah. Do Have you noticed a cultural difference, like just being across the the border, the the Canadians, I, I'm not sure if necessarily to have a more European view than Americans, but have you noticed a difference in the attitudes toward the cryptocurrency Canadian versus U.S.? Not really. That there was, um, before I, I arrived in BC, I think there was a big tax resistance movement where people were sort of very keen on the whole taxation theft thing and there were various people who were refusing to pay their taxes for a while. And as a result, the tax authorities in, in BC really cracked down on people and had a lot of staff waiting to find something else to crack down on. So I think people were very um, alert to the requirements that exchanges and projects should sort of play nicely with regulation here. Yeah, you guys just had a you guys just had a um, Dogecoin conference out there in Vancouver. We did, yes, Dogecoin 2018. I, I wasn't here for that. I, uh, I, I yeah, I had um, my wife's grandmother had their 80th birthday party that weekend. Oh, tough time it, to yeah, have an 80th birthday party. <laughs> it was a, it's a really good party though. So um, yeah, that was. Another example of something amazing coming out of the controls for the people who um, started and ran the conference, um, Chelsea, Armour and Huddington people, uh-huh. very much involved in community organisation around the control and they just loved Dogecoin and they're very, very interested in the idea of governance and you know how we decide what cryptocurrency software can and should do. Mm-hmm. And I think they decided that a good way of exploring these ideas is not to get really um, tribal and divisive and know my way is the right way about this. Right. It was to restore some of the Dogecoin style playfulness and um, get people to discuss ideas with giant moon being rolled all the streets or enormous papier mache doges or people <laughs> in sort of psychedelic superhero outfits giving State of the Union addresses. And <laughs> it, this, this, seems a good, this seems a good idea to me as well. So, although I couldn't be there, I wrote um, a, another Doge-themed story that seems to be the only kind of story I write, which was 12 story beats that could be used in the um, scavenger hunt or the live-action role-playing game that they were holding instead of a hackathon because a hackathon, if you can code, it's brilliant. You can turn up, you get free pizza, you get to show off your skills, and you get to make something great in a short amount of time. If you can't code, you get to turn up <laughs> and sort of, yeah, ask, ask if the pizza is for everyone. So rather than exclude anyone, one of the big themes around the convention was you know, inclusiveness, including everyone hearing everyone's voices. So yeah, scavenger hunt where you have teams combining people, different skills, going around solving different puzzles, and sort of having um, a sort of live action role playing game or scavenger hunt experience with the background being sort of drip fed. And through the story I wrote, it seemed like a really good solution for that. Where can okay. people get the uh, the original bad shab you wrote? Um, the PDF you can find on Talk's website. They're the editors. They did a great job getting the story down from 7,000 words to 4,000 words prior mm-hmm. to publication. And I think if you Google for it, then it's hidden somewhere on Furtherfield's site, not deliberately, but because they've just had a site upgrade and everything isn't quite back in place yet. But yeah, you can you can freely, legally, and uh, in a thoroughly endorsed way, download PDF of Badshot. Uh, there it is. That's uh, um, for those not are uh, just finding out. That's a uh, Dogecoin story about a bad shot. That he's not oh, yeah, that not. bad. <laughs> they're, not, they're not. They're not really bad. They're just having a crisis of. 
conscience because they're, they're, it's set about 15 years from now and they're, they're meant to be about 11 or 12 years old. And so they grew up after the collapse of fiat currency and the control of the state. So as far as they're concerned, the world has always worked this way. You sort of go and work in an orchard during the day, you get tipped in crypto, you go to school at night, and everyone's happy, everyone likes you because you tip them back in something that's probably not Dogecoin that, that borrows its culture. And then one morning they wake up and someone is doing better than them on the local tipping leaderboard. And they start feeling kind of jealous, which is not a feeling they've really had before. And there's, there's not much of a story. Um, things do happen, they do discover things. Most of the action takes place behind the scenes, but over the course of a couple of days, they sort of work out that the world as they knew it might be in danger. Mm-hmm. Are you are you familiar with like the sesame credits that the Chinese government has or whatever? Is that I don't even know if it's real, but I've seen it. Um, so like the social credit score in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this this was. Um, this is less social credit, although I guess it is like the, the volunteer version of that. It's more um, sort of game leaderboards where, you know, if, if you're playing things for game, you get to see your name above or below other mm. people. Because it seemed like if you wanted to encourage people to actually use their crypto hodlings rather than just sitting there and trying to wait for them to go up in value, you'd need a way of like gamifying yeah. cryptocurrency use. And so a leaderboard seemed like a good way of doing that. How do you, how do you feel about uh, society and the need for likes and followers these days? Um, it's, it's tricky. I, I know people who can only really be themselves online and for them I think the likes are very validating and it's a way of them being comfortable with who they are mm-hmm. but at the same time the dislikes are doubly painful for them and certainly the, the accelerated news cycle the accelerated opinion formation cycle where mm-hmm. um, things can just stream into your social media feed in a couple of hours and take over what everyone is talking about for a day or two then evaporates to the point where if someone mentions it in a couple of months you think oh yeah was that true yeah yeah well, I never nothing... found out if that was true <laughs> well the thing about but, Twitter too like they put yeah. your you know the your I don't know if it's really popularity but somehow or another what, what's yeah. happening on your yeah. uh, the, the activities and and it compares you to the week before. I was like, I don't, I have my life I'm getting compared on a daily yeah. basis. I really don't need my social media to tell me to, to compete with myself for the ha, Have you made a, vi- a, visual, <laughs> a visualization aid for us yet, Rob, regarding this subject? <laughs> Not yet. No, I'd be worried about feeding into that feedback cycle and sort of just having people sat there clicking away, waiting for the right shape or color to appear into their vision. <laughs> well, it's interesting reading that story too because uh, with the with the tipping, it was yeah. on one hand very generous. Uh, that yeah. was one thing that really impressed me, and thinking about how happy you know the character was, and just yeah. I, you know. And then I thought, well, where are you getting this money yeah. <laughs> to have yeah. or these resources to do that? And then the yeah. the adults. Were, and, and you can see this in, obviously in reality too when the adults are trying to relate to the their children and using the words that their children use yeah. which was hilarious because you can <laughs> you know whenever when he was saying well what you know she just said cool and what is what does that mean and it was such a it was it was such a uh, moment where you could totally if you've ever been a kid or you've ever dealt with the, yeah. you know been an adult you realize that maybe i shouldn't be saying that word i feel bad for kids nowadays because <laughs> the, the hyper whatever of word usage and like different generations using different words like older people still <laughs> use now the younger <laughs> words because of the internet and it's like they can't have their own thing so they must be changing their cool words to like a record-setting pace these days Cause I would never, like, like when Donald Trump said it's lit or something, everybody went crazy. Like, I'm not using that word again. <laughs> Ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
but he really I mean, meant on fire. <laughs> but you hear a lot of adults like, I mean, I'm an adult. I have a kid. I know I yeah. I talk crazier than my parents used to talk at the same yeah. age. Yeah, because a bad shy, as I say, is like it's set about 15 years from now, and so it has to explain why what I thought at the end of 2014 is going to be a very disposable meme. I've actually been surprised by how many people still think, uh, pasting words of doges and popping them on the internet. But yeah, yeah it, has, it has to explain why this, this disposable internet meme from about 20 years ago was the basis of an entire civilization. <laughs> well, the, the, so the other thing about the character, and then I'll... was the new best friend. Like, every... Oh, awesome yeah. experience created a new best yeah. friend. Well, now this is this sunrise is my new best friend, <laughs> and uh, then that kind of made me sad. But on the other hand, it was like it's you know it's a uh, uh, Groundhog Day. It you know every day when you're when you're faced with something new and this is and it's an awesome thing and it's new my new best friend. Mm-hmm. But I was like, well, what happened to the old best friend? Is it <laughs> what happened to that person? But it was I I really I really enjoyed. It. There were so many things I. Thank you. I could uh, relate to, even though, of course, you know, it's it's not my personal experience, but it was uh, that was very. Is is a second cool. edition that you did for the uh, DogeCon uh, going to be available for the public? Um, I'm talking to a publisher at the moment. Um, it will it will be made available in some form. Um, I suppose the the organisers of Dogecon were talking about doing a reading of it at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that probably end up on nice. YouTube if so. But yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be available in some form. It, it's unrelated to Bad Shy, but it's just sort of a coincidence that I, I've ended up doing another Doge story. You love the Doge. I do, I do. <laughs> I, I went for a walk after work yesterday down by the river near where we live and there's a doge there just waiting at like one of those um, uh. dog stands <laughs> where you leave your dog once you go to the restaurant but <laughs> so I said hello to them <laughs> okay. nice um, I, have a, I have a question for you I want you to um, tell me what this means to you here um, one second here um Shame common yesterday, freeze, peer, rough out, chesty monkey, torture, press mold, 20 human, barely, stupid, utter, thousand grand, door upset, crazy smoke. Are you reading that from the art? I just want to know if Rob knows what it means. So it's, it's a bit 39 encoded number. You're a smart fellow, um, so, Bitcoin keys and Ethereum keys and Dogecoin keys and other cryptographic secrets are great big long numbers that no normal human being could possibly commit to memory. Mm-hmm. And not only could no normal human being commit them to memory, no normal human being is likely to be able to copy them more than once without making an error. Mm-hmm. So, there is a bit, a Bitcoin improvement proposal, which is a document that people write to try and add cool new things to Bitcoin's protocols or, or software written using Bitcoin. And Bit39 is a system for taking one of these enormously long and difficult to remember or write down numbers, breaking it down into smaller numbers and representing each number using a word from a standard list of words. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's a list of about 2,000 words. So each of those, you can encode a number up to 2,000 or so using that, and then you have to go on to the next one. And yeah, if, if that is from something I've specifically written, I don't remember the specific one, but that will be um, a Bitcoin transaction or a Bitcoin block hash being represented as a bit 39 number. Yeah, I was, I was li- I was live reading it from the. Uh, <laughs> you can watch the uh, Bitcoin transactions from your uh, link on your site where it uses those words. But it's moving so fast that yes. that was actually yes. probably a, a smodge podge of a few addresses. Yeah, because I I wrote that. That's that's one of the ones from um, 2014 or so. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine there were a lot fewer transactions going through at that time. 
And so I sort of wrote it, looked at it, thought, you know, I, I, I like this, but it's a bit, you know, it's just pretty and it's a bit slow. And I, I checked it earlier this year to make sure it's still working because obviously it, it doesn't get the data directly from uh, the Bitcoin network. So it's going through your browser, it grabs this, I think, from blockchain. And I, I wanted to make sure it's still working, and so I, I brought one of those up, and the transactions were flowing through really quickly, really constantly. And I liked that because one of the reasons I make these things is to get a feel for what's happening behind the scenes. You know, you, you know that there are dozens of Bitcoin transactions every few seconds. You know that they contain lots of information and sort of sign with cryptographic key, but actually. Wrapping your head around that is, for me, kind of difficult without some sort of visual representation or some sort of model for it. Yeah, this is like a, somebody sending a letter every, like, a few every second type thing. You're kind of like reading it as it get to- tossed around the world. I was thinking yeah, it's, at it's, first... It's it, Sorry. No, no I was, when I f- was looking at it, I thought, well, this could be kind of a cool poem. Mm-hmm. And uh, But then, of course, you can't predict... What it's going to? No. If you post. overtook the network and did it somehow, maybe you could do something. <laughs> well, you could have very, you could, well, very you could, expensive piece of art. Well, it'd be kind of cool. Like you have a screenshot of of what's up there at that moment, and yeah. then do art based on what happens to appear. You could probably make a poem on on like a big from yeah. a big screen. Somebody, I think there's some art right there. I, I do like the idea of a group of poets unleashing a 51% attack on the Bitcoin network yeah. just so that they can encode a poem yeah. as transactions in the correct block. That would be, be next level. I, 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 I did. I mean, I'm, I'm not any kind of poet. I'm not, I'm not even a bad poet. I'm just not a poet. But I, I did the book, which was the Genesis Ashes of the 100 most popular cryptocurrencies on the anniversary of Bitcoin's creation a couple of years ago. Mm. And I, I, I represented those in bit 39.4, so the, the Bitcoin one has zeros at the start or at the end, so it begins abandon, 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 <laughs> abandon is zero. And it, it just sounds like it's going to be this very impassioned poem about letting go that <laughs> something that no longer serves you. But it very quickly goes into to other words. But yeah, I formatted that up as a little book. <laughs> you probably could publish that and you get like a prize. <laughs> See, some, some of our listeners out there, they can get, they can do like the whole blockchain activity thing. They can uh, buy some Bitcoin or then uh, get married on the blockchain somehow, right? And then they can use your uh, color-coordinated algorithm of the, the <laughs> whole hash function and pick out their colors for their wedding and maybe get yes. their ring done in that, in that hash that... You got all types of stuff. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, um, there was one part... You have a bounty your, for that. ...on your website where um, <laughs> you, you're realizing the hash is not only just, like, colored blocks and stuff, but taking it to where it was, like, line drawings and other, yeah. other uh, I think, mathematical equations I'm not smart enough to talk about. There, to there's, there's one that um, renders transactions as, as a torus, like as a donut, with the... the colors on it being taken for transactions so I guess you could turn that into a ring to represent your blockchain wedding <laughs> but it does also distort the, the torus so it's no longer a smooth donut, it's a kind of spiky thing and you probably wouldn't want to wear that unless that's a good thing Do <laughs> you know anyone who's derived anything from your work? Um, it's I mean, it's, I've had pieces included inside other people's art installations at Ethereal, but no, no, no one's sort of got back to me and said, hey, your work's all um, free software, your work's all open source, I took it and I hacked it and made this awesome thing. That, that'd be great to see. I'm surprised because it does, it at least is uh, mesmerizing. <laughs> I'm generating a face coin as we talk right now. <laughs> I'm on nonce two forty. <laughs> yeah. So, so face coin is another example of 
something I made to try and understand how things work because people were getting quite upset about the idea that all of the electricity that goes into securing the Bitcoin network is wasted and the response from the Bitcoin side is well it's not wasted, it's securing the Bitcoin network which is useful because otherwise people's Bitcoins would be stolen and so I thought between useful work and useless work there's art which is kind of useless but it takes a lot of effort to make a painting and people pay money for it despite not being able to build anything with it, cook it or eat it or smoke it or whatever. So <laughs> Facecoin replaces Bitcoin's proof of work algorithm which searches those big long numbers that get represented as words in Bit39 for a string of zeros at the end and rather than searching for zeros at the end of the number, it uses a standard face recognition algorithm to search mistakenly for faces in those big long numbers represented as bitmaps, as pixels. And this, this is something that people have done with clouds. There's, there's an artwork, I apologise to the artist, I forget the details at this moment, but there's an artwork which points a camera at clouds and finds shapes in the clouds. And there's another one that finds faces in electrical sockets in the wall, because those look like little faces. And so I took this algorithm, and yeah, it, it's rapid searching for faces, which is you know, a minimal artistic thing to do, because portraits are a thing, or drawing faces are a thing. And it, it uses that as a replacement for proof of work. And it, it just seems to click some things for people, because people say, how does this work? And I say, well, you know, searching for faces rather than zeros. And they go, but why is it doing that? And it's not mm-hmm. It's like a proof of work algorithm, and then you can get into, you know, so what is a proof of work algorithm, and why does Bitcoin do this, and aren't you a terrible person for doing this, and oh no, it's okay, and so yeah, it's just a nice, it's a nice way in to some of the ideas around, around how this all works. I, um, I've generated, um, quite a few faces since we, uh, I last talked about it a few minutes ago, and there's about 16 faces on my computer now. But literally, right. I took a picture of one of them, and it might be two of them even, actually. Now I see I see the MetaMask Fox on two of my face points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I haven't been hacked by someone trying to compromise MetaMask. If, if, it, if it's asked if your MetaMask sees, do not enter it. <laughs> the Fox is here. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. In the head house. Yeah, you've got um, you got a lot of cool uh, articles, um, art projects. Uh, you do a lot of, you know, art tech. Obviously, um, people can go on here and explore uh, robmyers.org. Is you know he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to talk about all of it, but he, he also was part of the uh, further field. Well, he is part of the further field team. A lot of his writings appear on their blog, and he was part of the book they put out, uh, Rethinking the Blockchain. Oh, Artists Rethinking the Blockchain. Artists Rethinking the Blockchain, yeah. So, um, everybody needs to get that book if you're interested in the space. Um, Rob, how did, how did you, I've asked Ruth, but how did you hook up with uh, that further field? So, I think it was 2005 when I first met them, because I was at, I mean, obviously, Furtherfield's online, they have the mailing list, um, they have their website, so I think I was involved in that, but I sort of physically met them in 2005 at a series of events, they were part of in London, and I was kind of scared of them, because they were... <laughs> much cooler than me and doing much more interesting things than me but then they, they emailed me a few months later and said hey you're writing about art and your blog would you like to do it with us instead and I said me really okay <laughs> yes, that'd be great thank you and so um, over the years they've been um, very very good supporting me and my work and my writing um, they've, they've commissioned a couple of pieces of art from me and various things I've written about them and I, I wrote um, Bad Shibe originally just for my own amusement, but I did show it to them and they sort of, as I say, got some editors to, to um, edit it and to shape the publication. 
Mm-hmm. They've got some really wonderful illustrations for by great artists of Lina Pitori, um, which was all the more impressive given that the, the narrator of the story is actually very serious about not telling you any details about anything. <laughs> they're, they're very careful not to let slip anything uh, about any of their friends or family for operational security reasons. So the illustration about it's all the more impressive. And yeah, they, um, they then asked me to contribute something else for artists rethinking the blockchain, which is great. It's a, it's a really, I mean, just opening at it anywhere in the book, there's something different. That was one thing that's definitely uh, took away from the the editing because it tends to be when there are anthologies like this that there's a, a underlying theme that the that the editors are trying to um, sell you in some respects yeah. and and that was not that's not the case in this in this volume it's uh, very wide ranging uh, the authors have all of them have different voices. And that's another thing that was incredible because, you know, again, with anthologies, and you have a, a, a number of editors that all think similarly, and so the f- flavor is similar. So that was, it's not the case in this. No, it, it's got a really, as you say, it's got a really good range of voices. And it, if there is a theme, it's sort of not, oh, the blockchain is amazing, or oh, the blockchain is terrible. It's, it's the blockchain is interesting, you know, this is here, this is now, um, artists are making art with it, um, people are writing about it, making music about it and sometimes with it, um, let's look at what people are doing and, you know, you can draw your own conclusion about it. As in your experience, um, I, I, I tend to think that you probably have a lot of experience even like with the tech and art even before this blog stuff and what we talked about um have you seen any uh art and technology um merge and with kind of with the excitement that i don't know i've i've seen me and cynthia have seen over the last few years so back in the 90s i completely ignored net art which was where people were getting really excited about the web as an artistic medium and using it to make sort of um, culture jamming stuff to test corporate ownership of the media or using it to sort of talk about the Soviet experience in Afghanistan or, 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 or from a decade previously. So that was a very interesting um, engagement between artists and new technology. Mm-hmm. which didn't, the best will in the world, cross over into the mainstream very much. Um, you might have seen the Yes Men getting onto um, CNN, I think it was, or something, <laughs> by sort of spoofing the media accounts of a, a big um, big corporation. But sort of it, it was kind of a well-kept secret in the art world to a degree. And then going back to the... 1960s sort of conceptual art and the whole art and technology movement got hold of fax machines and teletypes and sort of early mainframe computers the size of a house and sort of made some stuff which is really sort of you know it's incredible what they managed to get out of that technology and that's sort of the way that one of the first things that artists who got hold of old, um, like typewriter-style connections to the phone network started either spamming people saying, hey, we're making art and getting messages <laughs> back saying, we don't care, we're trying to do business and it's an incredibly expensive phone line. <laughs> or sort of organising networked art events between places that have this. Um, I mean, if, if you want to, you can go back to the Telegraph network, but that's stretching it a bit. So, yeah, I, I think each new wave of technology does sort of get embraced by artists to a degree. I, I think the amount of, of money that has magically appeared in cryptocurrency from sort of people going, well, maybe I'll like buy one of these bitcoins or some um, XCP and see how it goes and then like 
five years later, if they've forgotten their password and they remember their password, they're like, wow, I've got thousands of dollars and I can do stuff with this. What can I do with this? One of the few things you can do with it very easily is to sort of buy or, or, or make art with it. So I think it's almost the economics of it have, have had more of an impact than technology, although obviously the technology is what allows you to, to sort of make the art, to make rare art, or to make things that visualise the blockchain or to try to get people to make more copies of themselves. What kind of art, because I was thinking about this yesterday, what art form is not currently reflected in the in the crypto space. Um, I'd, I'd personally like to see more authorship um, and maybe, in, and I'm not sure exactly how, what that would be, but I'd like to see like to see that. But I was trying to think as what art forms are not really reflected in what we're seeing right now because there's a lot of fine art, music, obviously. I mean, you can't do performance work because... DJ Pepe is a performance artist. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe he's all by himself. He's a he's a performance artist of one. <laughs> but uh, and and then on the flip side of that, is, are there any artists who have influenced what you think about when you're creating? So, with the question of what you know, where could there be more art of a particular kind on the blockchain? You are right to talk about. Um, writing about stories, about novels, whenever people sort of do writing about the blockchain, it tends to be very dystopian or very, right. oh, you know, the blockchain is some sort of interdimensional evil which will destroy us in history. And uh, this shit is wild, right? There's more stories now, there's one in the current um, MIT 12 Tomorrow's collection, I think. And uh, there's a couple of people who have published stories for events recently. But yeah, there could definitely be more sort of blockchain novels and blockchain stories and definitely more blockchain novels and stories where technology is not simply the villain. And the same with uh, movies. It's sort of, there's like a crypto movie being made. So that's another sort of obvious blitz. Yeah, I film. Trainers, bad guy kind of thing. Yeah. But um, so the, the other one that, that springs to mind is, is dance. There's, there's not mm. a lot of blockchain dancers I'm aware of. If anyone knows of any, would be very interested <laughs> to hear about it. Um, there, there was a performer um, back in the, the 90s who's still going, but this, this project was in the 90s it's called Stellark, who was an Australian performance artist who did some very extreme. Um, body art where he used to sort of literally hook himself up to frames and stuff and Jesus. the one that he did <laughs> about the internet was he sort of connected um, you know those electro muscle stimulation pads that mm-hmm. people use for bodybuilding or possibly for electric shocks he sort of attached those to his limbs then wired that into a computer connected to the internet and the internet <laughs> the computer sort of pinged various websites and sort of electroshocked him Nice. in time to how long the signal came took to come back so it's sort of this this very sort of live art performance of, of a human being being subjected to the to the internet and i, I <laughs> imagine that anyone who isn't afraid of a little bit of electricity could do something like that with the blockchain is he is he still yeah, alive and kicking or what <laughs> he's, he's still, still alive us? and kicking you know, <laughs> is that that dude yahoo serious <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> the, I just picture the Yahoo serious when you say that. The <laughs> guy with the big hair and back in the 90s. No, no, he's, he's um, Australian. He's, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a wiry Australian. He's, um, <laughs> he's, he's still going. He's been working on a project to grow himself a third year for some years. That came to fruition. Damn. Yeah. He's hardcore. That is hardcore. And then, sorry, I forgot. I've forgotten the second question. So the other one was, what what artists uh, inform you with what you do? Are there writer authors that you particularly inspired you in, especially in this space, or visual artists, or music? That yes. Is- yeah. So in, in in this space in particular, Primavera de Felipe was a big influence. 
Um, she was the first person I saw talking about um, sort of Ethereum smart contracts and real-world law, and that just sort of opened up the whole world of ideas. And her project with Plantoid, which is the, the sculpture right. that looks like a, a, a sort of steampunk flower that you tip with Bitcoin, and, and when it's tipped with enough Bitcoin, it's going to try and incentivize artists to make another copy of it, which will then sort of get itself exhibited and then be tipped with Bitcoin until it can afford to make a copy of itself. And so we sort of have this prospect of about a thousand years from now, the surface of the Earth will consist entirely of plant types. But in the short term, <laughs> it's just this really practical project taking the idea of um, you know, fu- funding art, of making art production sustainable and doing that using blockchain technology and then doing that in the form of art that you can go and see and interact with. And yeah, how many plant toys are out there in the world now? Um, I've seen three, I think. Um, I will have to ask. I don't know how many there are. Because it was a different one. I was expecting the first one I saw to be at Ethereal. And yes. and I hadn't known about the subsequent generations. So uh, seeing the new one, I said, this isn't the real one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but so it was a, it was a derivative um, but anyway, so, but it was it was still awesome to see because then I then when I realized yeah this is a a descendant <laughs> of the uh, it, it, and conceptually that's that there's a story there too. The, the only way that the plant toys could stop um, reproducing though is if a human all humans cease to exist, right? Because they still need yes. humans, right? Yeah. They, they, they do. I, I don't know if there's a meta-plantoid which is going to start trying to pay <laughs> human beings to create robots that can create plantoids. But I think part of the idea is that, yeah, it, it does exist to ensure the, the continuity of human artists and mm-hmm. human sculptors in particular. So hopefully it won't mutate and go horribly wrong. And, it's a uh, pretty fascinating piece. It is, it is. Yeah, it's it's really thought-provoking. The, and it's the choice is... The choices, because apparently the artists, they design it in hopes that people will want to feed it. Because if it's if it's particularly boring, I'm assuming, or doesn't have certain features or doesn't flash, then it doesn't get money. And so that just yeah. feeds into the whole, it's like... You're, you have a homeless like plant toy. plant toy shaming. Yeah, that'd be good ones, and that'd be shameful ones sleeping on the ground that haven't been fed a uh, transaction in years. The ugly plant toy. Somebody should write it. That should be a story there, Rob. There the is ugly a story. Plant. I know. I'm, 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 fe- I'm, I'm feeling really sad now. I want to start a refuge for rescued plant toys. Damn. <laughs> Feed them Bitcoin when their owners don't want them anymore. Used, used Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the other person who was a, a big and practical influence was coin artist um, mm-hmm. who sort of popped up in my my Twitter mentions a few years ago and said, hey, do you want to do something on this project I'm doing? And just then sort of helping out with a couple of the puzzles they did and just really having to think through how, how the math works, how the code works and sort of how people who, you know, like myself and like um, classically tra- trained computer scientists by a stretch of the imagination can get any kind of handle on, on um, how this all works and then helping to turn that into puzzles is really, really formative in making sure that I did understand all the stuff that I, I was trying to not not lie about, but sort of trying to present in, in a fun way in, in the art. Have you, did you uh, participate in the Codex puzzle activity? Um, no, I've, I've, no I've, I've, it looked great. I've steered clear of puzzles because <laughs> after it took three years for people to break the yeah, 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 so you and Coin Arts did one in like 2014 or something. Or, yes. And it had like, yes. I want to say like a lot of Bitcoin in it, right? Like uh, it, it, was, it wasn't a lot when they were put in there. Yeah, so right, right. That, that was part of a series of puzzles and artists wanted to do one of their paintings which was great and they had 
the sort of the, the symbolism for it and what they wanted to do with it. And so we talked about ways of encoding the puzzle. And my memory of it, um, I don't want to speak for coin artists, is that we, you know people had cracked some of the previous puzzles slightly more quickly than we thought they would. So we wanted to make this one just like a little bit harder. <laughs> the hardest puzzle ever. Yeah, and so <laughs> we sort of we. Um, I, I wrote some code, and I, I was so I was so embarrassed because someone after the solution came out showed us their wonderful um, code that they'd made for drawing the flames. In, uh, so the, the code is sort of different properties of the flames, it's their size and color and position and stuff. And they'd written this this wonderful um, system which sort of drew all the flames in the right size and color and position. And what I'd handed coin artists, it looked like something that one of those early mainframe artists would have done. It's like this listing which literally said, big flame, blue, small flame, red, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so um, coin artists sort of did the preparatory sketches of that and we sat down and went through them over the internet and sort of made sure everything was encoded okay and then the painting was made and looks great and sort of we went through it again and made sure that yes everything was encoded and then by the time it was like two years and six months I was getting quite worried that I'd, I'd got something wrong in the code oh, yeah. and then sort of I think it was it February of this year someone contacted Coin Artists and said I've got a solution and we were like <laughs> Are we, are we sure? You know, this isn't like someone trying to get us to let something slip. Because yeah. I, I had people following me on Twitter and sort of misinterpreting random things I was saying to friends as possible clues as to what the meaning was. And no, they, they, they sort of worked through it and worked out the solution and we found out afterwards that a couple of other people were quite close. That's what's and up. So, it, took, it took a bull market to figure that puzzle out. <laughs> yes, yeah, because I mean, you, you, yeah, you were saying they were worth, that the Bitcoins were worth a lot. I think it was $60,000 at the end. <laughs> and it, they, they weren't worth that when they were put in there. I was getting quite nervous about having the solution sitting on my laptop <laughs> whilst I was like sat there at the meetups just typing on my laptop. But no critical on my laptop to try and get the solution. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it was weird because someone from uh, Motherboard got into contact with Coin Artist to write the story mm-hmm. and sitting down um, and talking like um, over the internet trying to sort of remember why things have been the way they were. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience because I, I love um, the history of art. I love it when artists document what they do well. Um, preparatory sketches are great. Letters from artists are great. Um, anything like that is brilliant. Um, we had like a, a folder of code sketches, a couple of emails, and you know, maybe two or three drawings of flames that we were trying to piece together how the conversation had gone three years ago. So artists record how you make your work and then flash of that on the blockchain. There it is. When you when are you next in the States? I am in the States at the end of this month, at the end of July, for Grey Area Festival, which is on from the 26th to the 29th. Uh, I'm there on the 28th to talk about blockchain art. And I've got a new piece, which is, almost finished and will definitely be finished in time to be exhibited which is going in the show and it's called Shelling Flags that allows anyone to create the flag that they like on the blockchain and pledge their allegiance to that's why I should state monopoly <laughs> on the flags <laughs> you do it you, you pledge your allegiance in secret right <laughs> yes yes well you, you send a transaction to it you can create a new Ethereum account if you don't want people to know who you are or, or what your your are people going to be able to burn their flags? flags well. um, I, I feel, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> I've, I've, made, I've, I've made it so you can only upvote flags so people won't swarm uh, flags and downvote them, which I think is the closest you can get to burning them. It, it's all free software, it's all open source, so if someone wants to add a flag burning module to it, <laughs> then that's the democratic right. See, if it was a counterparty you took and you could have just burned it. Thrown to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we unfortunately, Raul, I feel like we keep this conversation going, but we got to get out of here. At the studio, closes up here soon. We're at a uh, 
We're at a um, t- we're at a new studio this week because I screwed up and scheduled something wrong with the other studio guy, and he had a Nationals All Star Game week for baseball going on at the stadium, so he wasn't able to look out for your boy and your girl today. Um, but you don't want to mess with the Nationals. We're going. I can imagine you talking. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you know, we could talk to Rob Myers a lot more. Um, definitely want to get you back on the show and keep up with what's going on. You're a definite innovator and voice and uh, one of the first in this whole space. So everybody give it up for Rob Myers. And um, Rob, you, you got, you're going to be at Gray Festival in San Francisco. Uh, try, yep, Gray Area Festival Gray in area. San Francisco um, at the end of the month. I'm, I'm just around at the weekend. The event is from the 26th to 29th. I'm definitely there on the 28th. Check out robmyers.org. Check out his writings on Further Field. Um, you can pretty much link to everything on his uh, uh, blog here, it looks like. And um, they can follow you on Twitter at, at rob underscore Myers. Is that right? Um, no, it's, it's just at Rob Myers, all one word. Okay. Yeah, I managed to get that onto it. I was, was lucky. Yeah. <laughs> An innovator in Twitter handles as well. Nice. <laughs> it's so convenient for it to be your name. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, well, cool. Thank you yeah. for having me on the show, guys. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll look forward to more here soon. And um, 